Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Now, last week we began our discussion about uh, typical landlord-tenant disputes. And with the help of award-winning rental property attorney Marlon Chevalier, we dealt with a number of issues, including the refunding of deposits, who pays for the replacement of a burst geezer, whether a landlord can unilaterally increase your rent if his costs go up, for example. Uh, if you missed those particular parts of the conversation, please remember to look for the podcast, which is available on the Cape Talk uh, app and on our website. But the response was so overwhelming last week that we asked Marlon to join us again this week so we could carry on the conversation. So it's welcome back to both Marlon Chevalier and, of course, to Wendy Nola, our consumer journalist. Great to have you both Thank with you. us. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, Papa. And uh, since last week's show, we have received a flood of questions from both tenants and landlords. So whichever side of that arrangement you sit on, uh, you should learn something. You should learn a lot and know a lot more about your rights and responsibilities by the end of the show. Uh, we are, of course, also taking your calls on 021-446-0567. You can send an SMS to 31567 or leave a voice note on 0725671567. Wendy, should we start with Melinda's email? Yes, let's do that. It's something that crops up quite a lot. Um, it's the question of whether a landlord may enter a tenant's flat without the tenant's permission. Funnily enough, I just had my own landlord do a somewhat of a site visit just before I came to the, okay. to the studio. So I know how that goes, but um, it was all by friendly arrangement, of course. What What is a tenant's right in terms of a a, um, a landlord who feels um, entitled to just use their set of keys to come in whenever they want to? No, it's a good question. It's actually a question that comes up quite often. And the fact is that just because a landlord owns a property doesn't give him unbridled rights to simply enter into the property. There is a right of privacy. And the yep. fact of the matter is is that if they do that, it's actually trespassing and it is subject to, to criminal sanction. Which so, is the wow. next you question know, there. Why can you actually call the police on your landlord or rental agent if they do you that? Can. There's actually the from Personal Harassment Act. So it goes a bit further. A tenant has a right to use and enjoy the property and come and go as he pleases. And just like it is a criminal offence in South African law in terms of rental housing law, if you try to shut off utilities and lock somebody out, etc., to try and gain access without the consent is actually breaking in. You are actually entering into a property which is overseen and is basically, you know, the person living there has every right to enforce his right of occupancy. So owners don't have these rights and they think just because they've got a set of keys that they're not breaking in they need the consent of those tenants uh, so how is there any sort of legal determination of how they obtain that consent is it good enough to send an sms saying i'm going to pop by this afternoon just letting you know or do they have to receive permission saying it's okay at that time well, the fact is that, unfortunately, the Rental Housing Act doesn't govern or doesn't at least give us the necessary remedies we need. So if you want to, for example, have access, you're entitled to a right to access. You have a right to inspect the property to show a potential purchaser or a mortgagee. But if the tenant doesn't allow you access, you can't just gain access. So reasonable notice would be a couple of days in advance or 24 hours would be even be fine as long as the tenant so, agrees to it. So here's an, I'll use my own hypothetical, sort of vaguely hypothetical um, examples. If my uh, landlord had said, I want to bring someone to look at the flat, I can only come between 1 and 2 on Wednesday. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I'm on air then. That's not possible. And she said, well, it's the only time that I can do it. I want this only time that this person's available. I've got a set of keys and I'm going to enter. What would my rights have been in that kind of, would that be deemed unreasonable? It would be, look, the fact of the matter is, is that, as I said, the rental Housing Act is quite clear, you are entitled to access. If you take 
proactive steps to give alternative dates and times when you are available to come have access and each and every one is rebuked. Yeah, I'm be. not saying it gives you a right to do so, but if you are unable to gain access and you potentially lose uh, a sale because mm. a new purchaser can't come view the property or a new tenant doesn't have sight of the property and can't move in after the lease ends, you could potentially have a claim against that current tenant. So I always tell my landlords, send an email, an SMS, carry a pigeon if you need to, uh, <laughs> whatever you need to do to ensure that the tenant is apprised of all the dates and times you're available. So, I still would never suggest you go in without his keys for, for with keys for a very simple reason. Let's assume you do because the tenant never responded and you're getting a bit desperate. Mm-hmm. You go in there next thing the tenant says I had a hundred million yeah, rand in my top, top yeah. drawer and it's mysteriously gone. And next thing you find yourself on the back end of an unfair rental practice and maybe a damages claim. And the landlord, you know, has, has every right to give access with consent. But the first thing that's going to happen is a judge or a magistrate is going to say, can you prove the money wasn't there? Or can you show us why you decided to gain access even though you didn't have the consent? Yeah. It's a very Tricky open-ended one. area. Mm. I wouldn't go in. I would rather go to the tribunal and ask them to assist you in gaining access by way of a formal letter or a lawyer. But failing that, you need to consider your legal options because there's no relief in the actual Rental Housing Act itself. You okay. may have to go to court. Okay. Okay, it's such a tricky crazy, one. Crazy. I, I'm just thinking also, I mean, I, I've, I've quite recently encountered a situation where we've been looking at properties and one agent said, I have a house I want to show you, but the tenant does not want to allow access. That's quite common. And that was a tenant who could not afford to buy the home but didn't want to leave it. So it was almost deliberately blocking, sabotaging a, sabotaging sale. a potential sale. Mm. And if you do try gain access without consent, as you know, that's what we call the mandament van spoli, which is a lovely Latin term, which means spoliation. And if they can prove that your purported access has denied them the right to use and enjoy their property, they can go to court and take action against you and make you pick up their legal fees. Tricky business, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> All right, so tread carefully and once again put everything in writing so that there is a paper trail that can be referred to. A document, everything documented, yeah. Okay, uh, Melinda also had a, another unrelated question that was very interesting. Okay, idea. her question three was, can a landlord force the tenant to use the landlord's choice of service provider repeatedly to carry out repairs, um, especially if in the tenant's view that service provider has a proven record of incompetence and does bad quality work? You see, that's a lovely question, and uh, it's actually it's not the answer, on her asset. No, but the, the answer is self-contained. If the landlord is saying use this incompetent person, then the landlord is the author of his own damages. So, come the outgoing inspection, if the property isn't repaired then the landlord cannot possibly deduct any amounts from the deposit because the landlord chose the service provider. In a complex, in an HOA, a body corporate, there may be regulations and there may be even contained in the lease agreement certain provisions that certain service providers should be used. But if it's not in there, no landlord can force any tenant to use a specific provider because the Consumer Protection Act is quite clear. You can't force someone to use a specific service provider. But if the person is incompetent for a landlord to be quite adamant that that incompetent person should be used is, I'd say go for it you know, then, <laughs> and then I would say argument. document the evidence of that said incompetence in whatever form it is and in, in fact notify the landlord prior to the outgoing inspection of the issues the tenant mm, has just to, to bolster the claim if the landlord decides to use that deposit to cover the damages sure. by the incompetent but person but as you say that obviously there's something specific she's referring to here but it makes no sense why I wouldn't 
as a landlord send someone in to do uh, to fix the toilet or whatever if I knew it was the job wasn't going to be but to done do, properly. But just to add, there are very high profile properties at expensive rentals where a landlord might specifically say it's this type of wall, it's this type of toilet. Please make sure you look after it this way, and this is yes. a service provider we would recommend because they are protecting their capitally appreciating asset. But again, you would lease. expect that that would be a competent be person who's a, comp- a specialist in dealing with Quite that, right. that particular Quite right. scenario. Yeah. Okay. All right, Melinda, thank you. Some very interesting and pertinent questions there. Let's get to another recurring theme in the listening emails that came in, that of municipal rates and services. Wendy, you got an email from Julie on yes, this one. Yes, and I regularly get this kind of question. She wrote, my friend lives on a shared property and her landlord charges for her family of five about 800 rand a month for a water bill. He never shows her a municipal account and gives her this figure which he says she has used. So he's he's expecting her to just take it at his word. There's no leak on the water line, and I believe she's being overcharged. Please advise on her rights as a tenant and his rights as the landlord. Well, that's the kind of situation where I would automatically say go to the tribunal for the very simple reason that how do we know that the landlord is telling the truth? Any type of action which could be unreasonable and could be unfair is an unfair rental practice. I don't believe that a tenant who is not provided with the actual proof from the municipality of the actual costs expended can seek that from the tenant, especially if it's a shared property. If it's separate and it's metered, then you would have to show the actual separate invoice. Yes. But if it's a shared if it's property... Shared, it has to be a little bit of a thumb suck. It is a bit of a thumb suck, but how do you apportion it? Because there could be five people who don't shower every day, whereas one person showers four times a day. Yeah, I, I would think there would be have to be something that's negotiated. It would have to be negotiated, and that's why the tribunal has a mediation prior to the matter becoming a formal hearing, where they could interpose and say, right, what is the logical amount? What is the total amount that's been paid on average? What was it when it was two people staying there? But yeah. it becomes problematic. I think the fact that he won't show her the bill is, is suspicious. suspicious because, yeah. you know, you could say, yeah, I mean, utility, we all know the cost of utilities has gone up dramatically. And you could find a tenant has just lost track with what these things Absolutely. Of what they're costing, but, yeah. the fa- but then you show the bill. But you can't you know? basically prejudice a tenant's rights. The minute you do that, you are creating an unfair rental practice, which allows that tenant to go to the tribunal, and I assure you, the tribunal will say, bring us every Absolutely. single municipal invoice, Yes, and maybe we need to do an inspection and see how often and much, how much water you're using. So you would recommend that route? For the, tri- for the tribunal, for this particular instance? I would say that Absolutely, too. without yeah. question. Okay. Now, let's just go back to the locking out issue, because a few people have asked follow-up questions about that. Um, Jeff asking, what if the tenant changes the locks? That's a great question. If the tenant changes the locks to prevent access to the landlord... Yeah, I assume In my view, that would, be a, that would be not dissimilar to a spoliation application because if the landlord wants to gain access, and believe it or not, just to backtrack on what I said earlier, if you look at the Rental Housing Act, the landlord is on occasion allowed to have access to the property to check that there's no leaks, to, mm. as I said, to show potential um, purchases, etc. If the tenant takes a step to deny the landlord the right of access. Reasonable access. That in yeah. itself is also an unfair rental practice. Unfair rental practices don't just pertain to landlords who take unlawful actions against a tenant. It's reciprocal, just like a lease is a binding reciprocal agreement. Tenants have rights against landlords. Uh, it's curious why they would lock the tenant, lock the landlord out or change the locks. But if they do that for the express purpose of denying the landlord a right to go have access, if the landlord is gaining access unlawfully, then the tenant might have an argument, well, I'm 
I'm locking and I'm changing the locks because I don't want you to gain access and that would be a counter argument. There is what we call counter spoliation proceedings. Hmm. It's very legal but um, yeah. one must ask the gist of why the tenant is changing those locks. It's for obviously for a reason and what the reason is will dictate what relief is available to the landlord. Well I know that's the first thing that squatters do. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to get could to be the a issue different, of, of squatting yes. and non-paying tenants in a minute because it's another big one. But just before then, anonymous WhatsApping to say, I put a clause into my lease uh, to my tenants that I will inspect the property every three months and that 24 hours notice will be given. Is that legal? Look, it's not illegal if the lease has been signed by the tenant acknowledging the right of the landlord. There's nothing wrong with putting a clause that says I will have access. It's only a problem if it's a unilateral action which falls foul of the lease agreement or it's not contained in the lease agreement and it prejudices the tenant. Or it, for, they say I will not seek your permission, I will just do it. Now that would be illegal. That would be illegal. Uh, the fact is that if the tenant, just to put it in, in motion, if the tenant has to sign that, that wouldn't make it any more legal because you can't just agree to a clause which is unlawful and it doesn't make it lawful just because it's in an agreement. So in that instance, the tenant could challenge that on the right of privacy. So just because the tenant agrees to something, yeah. the law so will always trump the contractual agreement. It's a very important issue that because at the, Later on, we're going to get to some of the sorts of um, illegal clauses that yeah, exist in many, many leases. Okay, so just park that thought for a minute that the law trumps the lease. Okay, yes. a very important just phrase like to hold on to. So for many today. Yeah. retailers have uh, terms and conditions that are completely Out of uh, non, uncom- non compliant with the CPA, and they don't get that, hello, the CPA <laughs> trumps you. But there's also legislation that trumps other legislation. <laughs> okay. Oh, now we're getting <laughs> into Okay, so hold on to the thought about the law trumping the lease, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. But um, uh, uh, going back to the municipal rates and services, Abdurrahman on the WhatsApp saying, if you have a granny flat that you're renting out on the same property as yours, can you have a separate water meter and prepaid electricity meter for that building? What Absolutely. a wonderful solution to every type yes. of potential dispute. Yeah, and the be. beauty there is that if the tenant does not pay the bill, then the tenant is deprived of the necessary utilities, mm. but it can't hold the landlord liable. But if the landlord chooses to deny the tenant that uh, 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 utility by cutting off the water, electricity, etc., that's illegal. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're putting in these prepaid meters, these smart meters, and saying to the tenant, if you don't pay, you sit in the dock or you sit without bathing. And I'll be fine yes. in my main house. 100%. I think it's a brilliant solution. It's a very, solution. very smart and simple solution, absolutely. For sure. Now, um, here's an interesting... Uh, Flip on the question about municipal rates and taxes, etc. Kristen Cryfontaine asking, what happens when the landlord doesn't pay the rates and taxes? Can the sheriff seize your assets as the tenant? Mm -mm. The bottom line is this, is that if a tenant is, for example, in most leases you'll find that a tenant is liable to pay the utilities. Or alternatively, the landlord pays the utilities and is entitled to seek repayment of those utilities from the tenant. No matter what happens, because of the Municipality Act, a landlord is always liable to for the, municip- for the municipal bills. The owner of the property. The owner of the yeah, property, okay. quite right. Now, if the owner doesn't pay those municipal bills, which means the tenant, for example, has no electricity, tenant pays his rental on time mm. dutifully, but the landlord, for example, doesn't pay his bond or doesn't pay his utilities, in that instance, the sheriff of court, will, of course, will pursue uh, on the instruction of an attorney, will take legal action against the owner. Um, there's no right to take action against the tenant because the tenant is not the author of the disruption. Okay. So many times tenants will be in a situation where owners don't pay utilities and they suffer as a consequence. They would then have an action against the owner for the damages they suffer because the owner does not pay his utilities on time. You often get this in major blocks of flats. I get it, where the, the person's paying their, their levy and 
uh, as the owner and the, and the tenants pay, pay and the body corporate um, messes up and is not uh, uh, paying in sort of some rundown areas and then everybody suffers and now they've got a fight on their hand because the body corporate's not been paying their bill to the municipality. Uh, it's, oh, a, it's, it's, a, it's an awful business. So here's an interesting comment on the subject of changing the locks. This WhatsApp says, every time I rent a place, I change the locks the day I move in, just in case the previous tenant kept a set of keys. Uh, <laughs> oh, I haven't thought of that aspect, but, I but that would have to be done with the permission of say, the property owner, correct? I'm telling you now, you know, it's so funny that the Rental Housing Act talks about damages to the property which can be settled from the deposit, but they specifically mention lost keys. And sometimes keys get lost, they get lost in the tenant's pocket when they leave the property. Uh, Of bolts and braces, I would always change the locks for a new tenant. If the tenant comes in and changes the locks unilaterally, he must make sure there's a duplicate copy provided to the landlord in case of emergencies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Gosh, okay. We are again being flooded with questions and some of them are referencing issues we tackled last week, uh, including um, the issues around uh, refunds Refunds of deposits deposits. and uh, getting out of leases early. So what I'm going to do is just hold on to those. If we have time to revisit at the end of the show today, I'll go back to them. But otherwise, to the people asking on those issues, it has already been covered in last week's conversation. So please look for the podcast there. Um, You mentioned a little while ago, Marlon, that uh, that when you take a case to the tribunal, they first try mediation before taking it to a proper tribunal hearing. Now, Kim has a situation like this, Wendy. She emailed us about a dispute she's involved in with a former landlord. She gave 91 days notice, including 57 business days, that she was cancelling the lease early, and her landlord is now refusing to return the deposit. That's not the whole issue, though. Uh, she said, A, neither the incoming nor outgoing inspection were, co- were conducted. If you listen to last week's podcast, you will know why that's a big problem. But this is the interesting part. So Kim has been to the Rental Housing Tribunal. She lodged her dispute in May, and she actually was very complimentary about how they, they handled it. Uh, a mediation was called for June, and the landlord elected Didn't. not to come. Mm. And the matter has now been referred for a formal hearing by the tribunal with a date still pending. But, Wendy, this is where it gets interesting. The tribunal went to the landlord to advise them, and what happened next? So uh, the response from the landlord via the lawyer was um, a demand for a large sum for damages, early cancellation of penalties, uh, lost rent, agent's commission. Kim didn't say whether that th- – she did give three months' notice, but – when did her, her lease end? So we don't, it could How well have been early lease, cancellation, yeah. but still, um, they were demanding a yeah, last read agents commission. So it's a sort of a counter action. Um, Kim wants her deposit back. Instead of responding via the tribunal, now we've got a separate counter action going through the court and she's now, um, Entered a, a, what is it called? Intention um, to, to defend, yes. which she realized if she hadn't, there could have been a default judgment. And, um, we're putting Marlon in a bit of a position here because he doesn't have all the facts of the case. He's just got this very short email, but not to speak specifically to this, but what there must be, there must have been other cases where the tribunal thing's going ahead and then you have this from the side comes this um, separate counter legal action. And I had ne- I've never confronted one of these no, before, it, but it, it must it happen. It's, it doesn't happen often. It is very interesting because if you look at the Rental Housing Act, Section 13, it quite clearly says that if a matter is pending before a tribunal, for three months that tenant can't be evicted. For those three months, the landlord must maintain the property. For those three months, the tenant must continue to pay the rental. It's quite curious, though, if the lease has been cancelled and the tenant Person's is disputing gone. that, yeah. then they can't actually pay rental in terms of the dispute. But what it does say is that unless it is an urgent application – 
or something of substance which you would have been able to bring if it had not been before the tribunal, you can do so. Bear in mind that the tribunal is a forum. It's got the same esteem as a magistrate's court. You can't have the same matter pending before two forums. That's a nice Latin word called lis alibi pendens. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Lis alibi pendens. We wouldn't know how to But the fact is that I'm curious as to this attorney because if there was no incoming and outgoing, then there can be no... No touching yeah. the deposit That should have been refunded The landlord should have refunded that deposit And they tried to claim oh, right. all these additional things yes. And to try claim cancellation penalties When the tenant has clearly given Twice or three times the amount of notice She had to give in terms of yes. the consumer Whether she, Whatever the penalty whatever was, the penalty yes. was yes. Or being liable for damages is, is curious because what damages can be deducted From the deposit if there was no incoming and outgoing So this attorney, I don't know the facts Has clearly um, been quite opportunistic On I these facts so. Do the tribunal first and then yes, and then. Right. so we continue the conversation around landlord tenant issues. A reminder that with me in studio are consumer ju- consumer journalist Wendy <laughs> Nola, as well as property rental property attorney Marlon Chevalu. And uh, just before the break, we were shame. I mean, poor Kim who sent us this email about uh, her her tribunal dispute and then receiving legal papers about a pending lawsuit is so distressed and so concerned. And it really sounded to me from what you said, Marlon, that she she should. I mean, what does she do? Does she go back to the tribunal? and say, look at this lawyer's letter I've received. Do you know, the fact is that it's not just a letter. If they're applying for default judgment, or they would have, that means legal action was instituted. You know, we are officers of the court. We are bound by legislation, ourselves, in our legal profession. And the fact of the matter is, there's a thing called clean hands. If I knew there was a matter pending before a tribunal based on an unfair rental practice, and I received a letter on behalf of the landlord from the tribunal to deal with that unfair rental practice, chose to ignore it, and then instituted an action which could potentially have involved part of this unfair rental practice. I should have disclosed that or I should not have proceeded. I should have washed my hands off it. I would tell that tenant to go back to the tribunal, give them a copy of the summons and, of course, the, what would have happened but for that uh, judgment being intercepted because she now has to file a plea. She's got to file a response to that summons. And the first thing I would say is this is before another forum. Knock this matter out. Um, I'm just thinking she should definitely go back to the tribunal, especially if the tribunal was ignored in the first instance. Okay, As I said, I don't know all the facts. I would never quote out a colleague. But the issue is the issue of being an officer of the court. I'm an officer of the court. I've got to walk in to any situation with clean hands. And this, for me, just it just doesn't sound right. That's why I would love to know a bit more about it before making you know a judgment call, for want of a better word. Okay. <laughs> Well, let me just at the, take that opportunity to give a shout out to the clean hands approach because I think it's Kai who's WhatsApp saying Marlon is a master. He helped us get out of a nasty situation with a slum landlord years ago. Oh, okay. We were really lucky to have people like him around. That's a lovely oh, message well to, nice. to receive. Thank Cheers. you. I don't know if it's a Kim with the M cut off or a Kai, but thank you very much. Interesting question here. Before we move on to the issue of um, tenants who don't pay. Trevor is wondering, is the law different for factory or retail rental spaces? We've been talking about residential rentals here. Does everything we've said apply? No. No. Different rules. The funny thing, there's no act that governs commercial rentals. I did not know that. There is no tribunal per se, legislated tribunal, that governs commercial issues. The only time the commercial arena has anything to worry about is if it's a tenant who's a natural person tenant leasing a commercial retail or industrial property. So leases are a hundred times thicker. And if there's mm. commercial entities involved, you can't lock somebody out, of course, that will apply. Mm. But it's, it's far more watered down. There's no, there's more common law, which is case law, which legislates, legislates, um, commercial property law, but okay. very, very different. Less sentiment, no evocative issues. Oh, I'm living there. It's Privacy have you paid your rental? The, yeah. 
Yeah. Have you? No, please leave. Yeah. Okay, okay. thank you. Now, earlier you mentioned we, that, that person sent the, the WhatsApp saying, I change the locks when I move in. Uh, and you <laughs> said, as, far, as long as you are telling the owner and giving the owner a set of keys, that's fine. Lee's follow-up question is, what are the implications if a tenant changes the locks but won't give the landlord copies of the keys? Well, that, in that instance, you have to ask yourself, is it an initial issue for the landlord? If the landlord is not going to be doing inspections, interim inspections, which he should be, and the landlord's only going to do an outgoing inspection, which requires a formal joint inspection being concluded between the parties, then in for what respect would he need to have access? So is it a breach per se? Not really. But if the landlord needs to gain access and can't, in that particular instance, the tenant is in the firing line. So I don't think it is an initial breach. For example, it's not dissimilar to a situation where a tenant paints the inside of the house purple and the landlord is jumping up and down. But at the end of the lease, he returns the property in the exact same condition in which he received it. Purple house is not nice. You never had a right to paint it purple. You've breached the lease by painting it a different color. But what prejudice has the landlord suffered? What prejudice will a landlord suffer if he doesn't have access? But when he does need access and he can't get access, that's when the issue will arise. I, I sit in this debate as a land, both a landlord and a tenant, um, obviously different properties. But I, <laughs> if I, as the landlord, found out that my tenant had unilaterally changed the locks and not given me a set of keys, I would regard that as bad faith. I would well, not have a good feeling about that tenant. But then you'd have to take a little bit further because there's nothing in the lease that potentially says you can't change the locks. What you would do then is you'd say it would be, would be implicit in the legal relationship that I would have access to my own property. It's my it's asset. also messed with my and asset. And give you 20 mm. business days to remedy that breach because yeah. that could be deemed to be So you just material. get on it and you... Yeah, okay. take it from there. Right. Now, okay, the big question, the one that came in most of all of the topics that came through, the issue of the tenants who do not pay <laughs> and what to do about them, what the law says, etc. So let's start with Cherie's question. Cherie wrote to us about her daughter. Yes. Who's, and shame, she's renting out her house because she was already in difficult financial circumstances. So she's moved into cheaper accommodation and has put tenants into and her I'm house. And I'm guessing she's never acted as a landlord before, didn't take steps to find out what her rights and responsibilities were. And this is what's happening with the downturn of the economy. A yep. lot of people yes. are doing this and they don't understand, they have no experience and they feel, you know, they're in financial trouble. We're not going to get a lawyer or whatever because that's going to cost us money. But in this case, um, Cherie's daughter daughter's tenants are effectively squatters because they have not paid rent for the past six months. Six months. She went to the Rental Housing Tribunal for help, but they said it can take up to three months before they can do anything. All these um, bodies, ombuds, etc., they all have a huge caseload. It's not an instant process, unfortunately, although it is free. Cherie's daughter is getting more and more in debt as she cannot keep on paying the water nor keep paying her own rent without the other income. And, of course, you can't unilaterally cut off the services. No. Yes, so said, yeah. between a rock and a hard place, really. So... Marlon, over to you. What are, what are her options? <laughs> well, look, the tribunal only says three months, and the, the Rental Housing Act actually says they have got this three-month period, and three months to resolve the matter or um, to, make, to make a final decision. Otherwise, it's, it, it closes. The problem is that the a South African economy has got a bit of an anomaly. Some people earn too little to um, re retain an attorney, but a little bit too much to have legal aid. Mm. Yes. So they fall into a horrible gap. In this instance... There needs to be a letter of demand sent out. I mean, I don't want to punt my own services, but we do about 350 letters of demand a month. And that is the catalyst. That starts things in motion. If it was a amount less than 20,000, I think, or 30, she could go to the small claims court. There she could do a letter, but that will even cost her about 250 rand. So Summons, it's a very desperate yeah. situation. The fact is that 
if she can't pay her own rental and her own utilities on the other property, that's not a defense in law to say, well, I don't have the money to pay no. because I haven't been paid myself. So she would have to go to an attorney, preferably someone who could charge her a very low rate because what these tenants are doing, they're not squatters yet. They're only squatters if the lease has ended and they've remained on unlawfully okay. Okay. or you've demanded. I'm using the term too loosely. Yeah. Right. If you demand, they don't pay and you cancel, then they're a squatter. But six months, I don't know how anyone in this not economy good. can carry six months of non-rental. Plus, you actually they're costing you because you're paying the water, and they're not looking after the property, so your asset is depreciating. There is so much that 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 flows from a non-paying tenant. Unfortunately, find a lawyer who can do a letter of demand. Shouldn't cost more than one or two, three hundred rand, and it may just bring some lucidity to the matter because a tenant receives this and they realise they may face the back end of litigation. But even that these days is not as much of a threat as it used to be. Okay, now. Does that situation at all change the issues of the changing of the locks? Uh, because here's a question from someone saying, can a landlord gain entrance to the property if the tenant has refused to pay the rent for the last two months? No. Mm-mm. Still not. No, that's yeah. still spoliation. Um, as, I, as I mentioned in the last podcast, if a tenant doesn't pay rental, that doesn't give anyone the right to simply access the property and say, well, I'm not going to pay my rental. I want to go in and take back the property. They still have the right to use and enjoy the property. Even if that landlord goes to court, gets an eviction order, and we're still waiting for that eviction order to be carried out. Use and enjoyment and the right to freedom to enjoy the property has nothing to do with how much rental is owing. It's a very jaundiced area it, of law. It, is a jaundiced area of law and and that's why I always say you know protect yourself as a landlord by vetting putting a lot of time and effort into vetting Absolutely. your tenants um, mm. I did a report for Sunday Times Business Times a little while ago and I researched this area properly um, and I came across a credit bureau called TPN which specializes in vetting tenants for rental properties um, it was started by a former rental agent Michelle Dickens in 2000 so it's going on a while now nearly 20 years um, and she said if, when I was you know, interviewing her she said a person wouldn't dream of handing the keys to their car to a stranger yet they allow the investment flat to be rented to someone without making sure that they've been properly checked out that is mind-boggling to me um, and she said it isn't enough to pay a rental agent and um, leave them to get on with it no questions asked because that's another area I get a lot of complaints about people who are paying rental agents who put people into their places that haven't vet, haven't vetted them properly haven't looked mm. at but their track record as a tenant and all the rest the problem is though is that vetting is absolutely important and TPN's been around a long time but what happens is somebody who turns out to be brilliant when they're vetted but they lose their job mid yes there's the that. economy causes people to, you know... Act out of character. Exactly. And Mm. if you go further, what what is... How far do you go? What is due diligence? There's no definition of what a rental agent needs to do. Rental agent does a FICA check, does a credit check. The tenant has to consent to that. They've got no judgments against their name. They look pretty decent. Life is good. Put the tenant in. Three months in, they lose their job. They can't pay. And the rental agent is in the firing line or the landlord's in the firing line. The fact is there's no infallible answer. Mm. You've got to do as much due diligence as you can. At least do it. I mean, the people I've spoken to just haven't. Well, if an agent places a tenant, procures a tenant, doesn't do proper vetting, and that tenant defaults, that landlord would have a claim against the agent for negligence on their part. There is a duty to act proper and workmanlike. But boy, do those agents like to push back and not accept any responsibilities no. in the cases that I've dealt with. I mean, I deal with agents every day. I love them to bits, but some of them are chances and opportunistic for want of a better word. But mm-hmm. those that do do a good job, but unfortunately with this economy, you can have the most brilliant that vetting process. That is a very process. good point. 
Situations change. It does change. Interesting, and this is, we're going a little bit off a side path here, but it is an interesting question. When it comes to the vetting, where to look? What do you do? Do you check social media? If you vet the person and you decide (laughs) not to go with them, do they have any rights to rebut that decision? Well, if you decide not to take a tenant on, yeah. even though you've done your, there's no just. Do you have to justify it? You don't them. have to justify you it. Don't. No, you actually don't have to justify it. Many tenants can apply and have their bank statements. It's you know sort of the, the right of reservation. I, as a landlord, have every right to choose whomever I want. I don't have to disclose reasons. In fact, it's better not to disclose reasons because those reasons disclosed could land you in a world of trouble. Yeah. You are. T- Entitled to put whomever you want in your property. If somebody doesn't make the grade from a financial perspective, well, then they're out of the water. But you could get 10 simultaneous applications. Every tenant is wonderful. My view is that the tenant that you put in, look at the end. Are these the kind of people, if they're five children, more difficult to evict? If it's an elderly person, more difficult to evict? Mm. I'm not saying being sexist or ageist. <laughs> I'm simply saying that it's your property. Yeah. And life is tough. You need to get rental to cover your bond. Make sure you do as much due diligence as possible to place a tenant that you think will survive out the lease period. I mean, that's, that's I've learned my lesson with two, two guys, for example, and the one moves on and the other one then can't pay. And, wants to be, and, yeah, and You might have joint and several liability clauses, but you're still going to litigate. So yeah. I'm saying there's no infallible process, but you can mitigate your exposure by proper tenant screening, checking financial statements, who Speak they to are, the employers. get suretyships in place. Social media. I mean, some people can't pay, but yet they're in Phuket and they send you an email. I can't pay my rental. <laughs> so, you know, do be, Facebook stalking. be pedantic. Yep. Yes, it's your be asset. a little bit forensic. It's a very expensive asset, yes. too. For Let's sure. not forget that. Okay. Well, Alison does have, I think, what would qu- qualify as a squatter in Simon's Town, but this is an interesting twist. Her question is, is if a short-term or holiday-let tenant refuses to leave at the end of their oh, holiday, what are my options? You have to go to court. I mean, that in itself sure. would not be regulated as such by the Rental Housing Act. It may even fall out of the, the – well, even if it is Rental Housing Act, let's assume it is because that's leased for dwelling purposes. But the consumer Protection Act may not be applicable because there we talk about fixed term leases and that invariably is longer than three months. You may just have to go to the Supreme Court, the High Court, in order to bring an application to get them out the property. Wow. Short term leases are very dangerous, very lucrative. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but much higher potentially rental. much higher higher rental, higher, higher risk. risk. Like an investment. Well, as oh, so it's so interesting to hear you say that because a few minutes ago Danny and Stellenbosch mailed a message me to say listening to all of these numerous rights and responsibilities for both parties, no wonder more and more people are opting for short term rental opportunities like Airbnb. Not so much about more money, but about less hassle. But more risk as well. By the well, sense. if you hypothetically now are managing or you've got an Airbnb unit in a, a body corporate and they take a resolution that there's no more short-term letting, then you're out of the water. There well, goes your speculative product, your property. Or then you justify it because my block has has <laughs> that rule and the flat right next to me is definitely Airbnb and these youngsters come and I won't go into it, but it's very disruptive. It is. And, and they just carry on. insurance issue, safety issue, but short-term rentals, that's why if you're going to do a short-term, you should take a huge hold deposit, which you won't access until they leave, but you've got to make okay. sure you've got enough, yeah. enough security in place. And that might just put them off. Yeah, that is, that's true. Short-term, short-term mm. holiday lets you don't mm. But how, that, yeah. how can I have some people? That was obviously deliberate. You don't just decide during your holiday, I think I'm going to just stay. Well, some of us might have that thought, but we don't carry... <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very, very suspicious behavior. Now, I mean, let's just come back to this issue of non-payment. And here is is, is an example of, uh, uh, I mean, Jonathan, in a very tricky situation. Uh, what happens if the tenant fails to pay the rent? They've racked up a bill of 60,000 rand and just 
cannot pay. They've even signed an admission of debt, and I don't know what to do. Okay. There have been acknowledgement of debt. I mean, that's a reciprocal agreement where they undertake to pay a certain amount of money, which is amortized over a period of time. But the fact is that if they haven't got the money and they can't pay, then it is what it is. You can sue them and you can get judgment against them and you can send a sheriff out to take the warrant to attach their property. But invariably, if they've got nothing, you won't get anything. It mm. becomes a hollow victory, a Pyrrhic victory, what they call it. Yeah. Um, if in that situation, what I would do is I would say, listen, I'm going to discount the debt by half, mm. pay me th- over five yes. months, leave so I can bring a new tenant in and mitigate my that further exposure. very good advice. Okay, now that is what Richard has done. This is interesting on the SMS line. He says, I couldn't pay my rent because of my business um, uh, conditions. I moved out. I offered to pay a minimum of uh, 500 rand Wonderful. per month every month until I'd paid. I've now received a summons for the full amount plus sheriff's fees plus a repair bill of 6,500 rand. Uh, where do I stand? Well, in that instance, I mean, if, for example, the tenant signed an agreement to pay 500 and it was agreed to, then one must ask on what basis legally or factually an attorney could do that on the instruction of a landlord. There was an agreement mm. in place. If the tenant breached, what you may find is that there is a clause in a, an acknowledgement of debt, which is what we call an acceleration clause, which allows the landlord to go for the full amount. But if you think of it logically, if he's getting 500 a month and maybe it's it wasn't a lot, yes. now he's going to be locked with legal fees he will never Not recover and he's going to get a judgment where there's nothing to execute against and you might just find that this tenant says you know what I'm not going to pay you anything now and just you know, your worst. dig his heels in I've got judgment against me nothing is going to be you can't worse take anything that. from me mm, yeah. so sometimes you have to be commercially logical and say well I bought this property Sometimes I get rental in, sometimes I don't, but it is what it is. It's still an appreciating asset. I maybe just sell it. But if you have an acknowledgement of debt where there is going to be payment, then, you know, work with that. A bird in the hand is it's better than two in the yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you both to pop your headphones on uh, so that you can hear a voice note that's come in uh, on the subject, taking us back to where we started, the utilities issue and who pays. Let's take a listen. Good day, Pippa. Uh, my name is Mike. The 100 rand that the city is charging on a water bill uh, has been not going for a while. Uh, who is responsible for that, the 100 rand? Is it the tenant or the owner? I would love to get the answer on that, please. Thanks very much. Good show. Thank you. Marlon? Oh, it's, it's a good question. I actually wrote a lovely article a while ago, which um, I'm happy to circulate, mm-hmm. about the new water um, restrictions. And, I'd love to see it. And the water amounts that are due... You look at the lease agreement. It's as simple as that. If the lease agreement says the tenant is liable for the water and ancillary charges, then the tenant would be liable for that. If it just simply says that the tenant is liable to pay the water based on usage, then that would be something and that wouldn't include the surcharge from the municipality. So that is based on contract. So I would okay. need to see the lease for that. So yeah, that, that's the it's, simple answer. It's interesting in that I don't think, I mean, the lease, I would say most leases would say water, but Correct. nobody anticipated that you'd be charged for water you didn't use. So, so I would, I would imagine new, new leases might have and ancillary charges, but I've been changing a lot of leases lately. Have you? There you go. So if it's not stipulated as such, um, if it's not stipulated and it comes down to, you know, what is water and, you know, it's ancillary to the enjoyment of the property. And I don't think it would have been the intention of the landlord to, to put the tenant in a position to pay these extra charges unless it's specified in the lease. So those, (laughs) I've been changing those water clauses to cater for that. Like a tenant says, I can't water the garden because of water restrictions, and yet you're charging me for not maintaining the garden. It's the same logic. Mm. So I actually did an addendum to to 
for that, for the water restrictions. But the water-related issue all turns on what the municipality says and what the lease says. Okay, thank you. We've got a few more voice notes. Let's take a listen hmm. to two more. Hi, could you possibly ask your guest if somebody is occupying your property and they've been given three months notice to um, evacuate and they don't do so, what is the next step that one takes? Okay, well, that's a very simple question, but it's a good one. If, hypothetically, appropriate notice has been given, because don't forget, you can't just give notice to a tenant to leave. You know, in terms of the Consumer Protection Act, there needs to be a breach, which is not remedied within 20 business days. But let's assume that there was agreement that they could give that notice. After the expiration of those three months, the tenant is an unlawful occupier, and you need to bring an eviction application. It's as simple as that. So three months, four months, two months, if the tenant agreed to that and they just choose not to leave, the date after that three months expires, they are a squatter for all, te- all extents and purposes. Okay, and you need a lawyer to do that for you? You can bring an eviction. You would need a lawyer Ideally. to bring an eviction. Okay. Yeah. okay, thank you. Another voice note? I need to talk, so I'm just wondering, what if you want to sell your property and the lease is still running? Oh, that's, that's yeah, the best question. Yeah. Love it. That's a great question. That brings in the whole realm of hier gaat voor koop, which means mm. currently as things stands based on Roman law, if you sell a property with a tenant and it is a lease that is in place, presumably it would be a lease in place because there's a tenant, any sale of that property to a third party in terms of a private sale, not a sale, a forced sale in execution by a bank, but a private sale, any new purchaser has to respect the lease in place and continue looking after the tenant because it becomes, by operation of the law, his tenant. So nothing changes, for want of a better word. I would just add a word of caution there because I've covered cases. In fact, one of our colleagues had this happen to her. She bought a property in Johannesburg as an investment and was told that there are tenants and she would take them over and they were actually squatters and bad ones. They they had become wow. violent, threatened violence. Oh when when asked and so the the owner was selling to rid himself of that problem. So you don't want to inherit Well that would be a court squatters. case against the owner for misrepresentation. But again this yeah. person's now now she's lost so much money. Now where does she find the money Oof. for court proceedings? So exactly. be very very um, wary of existing tenants and make sure the nature of that tenancy well, before it, you it, buy a property. Well, it turns on the due diligence that if I'm going to purchase a property and spend a lot of money on an asset, I want to have full disclosure as to who the occupants are. Yeah. Um, and if that landlord was silent on that for the purpose of ridding himself of that property. And again, the agent. And, and, oh, they all denied knowledge, you see. Oh, and she's just, on. yeah. That's it was awful, awful, awful case and not a rare one. Yeah, mm. that's awful. Let's quickly take a call. JC and Cryfontaine has been waiting to ask a question. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I just um, I was listening to that the one comment about the person um, that had a tenant that was in for six months, um, and now they need to know what like what course of action they can take. Yes. But what what I'm failing to understand is why, uh, like with us, where we bought a house, we. Um, uh, when we registered the property, for some other reason, the uh, city picked up a PO box address and they kept on mailing the rate and taxes through to the PO box. So we never ever got the rate and taxes. Then finally, when I realized, uh, I asked them, like, what's going on? Like, why aren't, aren't we receiving the rate and taxes? Um, they said it's going to this um, address. We then got that changed. But then they said, listen, um, for those three months, you owe us like 5,000 rand. So we contested that, but then they also said after that three months, they said, listen, um, you, 
Um, we're gonna cut. We're gonna cut. We, or shall I say, we got a letter to say that we're gonna cut off your. We're gonna cut your water off because you haven't paid the bill. So I'm just. I'm failing to understand how it got to six months. If uh, by three months our water was cut off by the um, what's it, sewage and water um, department. Well, not all municipalities are that jacked up. <laughs> to tell yeah. the truth. Um, but it's interesting though because only a municipality can actually take that action of of cutting off a landlord. Land. Yes, yes. But it is interesting. I mean, six months as opposed to the three months. Um, it's also interesting about the PO box. Cause well, sorry, I think in the, that case the. the Poor tenant, um, the poor owner was paying, continuing to pay. So the municipality would have had no need to. She's still continuing to pay. She's just not recovering the money from the tenant. Yeah, exactly. So he's not. He's an owner, didn't pay because he got into the bill, and then there was the direct. But in this, in 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 what was her Sherry's daughter's name? She's yes. continuing to pay, and that's why she's battling because she doesn't. Um, she, she, I suppose she should just. She should just. If she's not living there, she should just stop paying and no, let but, that happen. Uh, and you're going to say that? Oh, she's, she's liable. Exactly. Yes. She's so the owner. She's yes, cutting off her nose to spite Yes. Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, just like that, the times run away again. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, Marlon, it'll. It, we will definitely have you back again at a later date. I want to thank you very much for the two chunks of time you've given us this month. My absolute to pleasure. To tackle these issues. Of course. And just to remind everybody that, that the Rental Housing Tribunal in Cape Town can be reached on. 0860-106-166. Wendy Nola can be reached on consumer <laughs> at nola.co.za. And uh, Wendy, we will chat again next week. We will. Thanks, Papa. Always Thank great you, to Wendy. have you with Thank us. Thank you, Papa. That's brought the time to two o'clock.